It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. This episode is brought to you by Zencaster, the amazing platform I've been using to record the audio and video versions of this show since March 2020. It is the number one tool I recommend to podcasters. So if you're thinking of starting your own show or optimizing one you already have, visit Zencaster.com. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com. It's free to try and you can enter the code WELLEVATOR to receive 30% off your first three months of the pro plan. WELLEVATOR is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. I am really looking forward to this conversation with today's guest, Jason, because it's about travel. And travel is something that feels especially interesting over the past few years during this pandemic. And I've talked a bit about my travels, which have been fairly limited because A, I've been traveling solely by car. B, I've only been traveling within the U.S., And I personally hadn't felt comfortable flying on a plane and going outside of places that I guess I perceive to feel comfortable for myself. But reading more about Jason in preparation for today's conversation, I found myself yearning to travel more and go beyond my comfort zone at some point. And the very first place that I want to start with you, Jason, is asking what has it been like traveling during COVID, especially going abroad outside the United States? Has it been a challenge for you or has it taken you out of your comfort zone? Or do you feel like it has just naturally kind of worked in based on your all your experience with traveling over the years? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's going to be fun. I would say when you say all my experience of travel over the years, that's what we'll get into a little bit deeper is that I'm really still learning how to travel. I didn't see my third country until I was almost 40 years old, which was only a couple of years ago. So it's a constant relearning of the things that you learned on the last trip, or as you take a two week or a two month or a two year hiatus from travel, you know that you had this skill set, but all of a sudden you have to kind of relearn that thing. So essentially for the first part of COVID, I was in Quetzal, Mexico at the beginning of COVID and literally at the point where the president said, we're going to start shutting down flights coming into the country. I was in Mexico towards the end of when that trip was supposed to end. And I said, okay, like I'm still new to traveling and now in this position where I'm in another country and they might say, you can't come back in. It was all the speculation at the beginning of this, what's going to happen. And that was one of those moments when I had to make a decision, okay, am I going to be, am I going to tough this out? Am I going to listen to my pride and be like, oh, you can handle this. You're a big, tough traveler now. Or am I going to listen to my gut, which says this is terribly uncomfortable and I don't know how I'm going to navigate this thing. And I literally had that conversation with myself to say, why would I make this decision? Am I making this decision because of other people's inputs or society's inputs or what I don't want people to think? Or do I need to make this decision based on what I really need. And that's when for that trip, I chose to come back four days early. I changed my flight, spent a little bit of money, and I came back four days early, ended up in a corral of thousands of people in DFW right at the time when they're like, you're going to have to quarantine. So that was the beginning of COVID. I just got back from Portugal for three months. And that was my first big trip during COVID. And it was a decision of Number one, is it appropriate to travel? Are you abusing a system that doesn't need abuse right now because the world's having a tough time and I want to respect that? Number two, the new type one diabetics with a lot of health concerns, what happens if something happens while I'm over there? You know, how do I take care of myself and get through that? And so there's a lot of stuff that comes into play when traveling and especially when you're still new to the game. But yeah, we can get into the whole backstory, how I ended up being nomadic a year before, actually less than a year before COVID kicked in and also type 1 diabetes during that whole time. Yeah, there's a lot of change going on. But one thing that I appreciate about you, given what we talked about before we started recording, is that you're leaning into change and you're committed to not getting stuck in your old ways. In fact, one thing that you had written to me is that at the core of your journey is the reality that you are getting older, just like all of us are getting older, 
and you weren't learning enough about others and you realized that you had to travel or you're going to grow into a cranky old man with secondhand perceptions of the world. (laughs) How did you come to that realization? Like, was there a moment where you realized it? Was it somebody that said something or something that was there an aha moment for you, I suppose? I'm a very introspective person to begin with. I'm very analytical. That's it is who I am. My all my previous bosses, every girlfriend I've ever had, I think all the time and I'm always analyzing things. So I do that to myself as well, whether it's valid or healthy or not, I'm doing it all the time. There was a point where not throwing my dad under the bus at all, but you know, we all look at our parents and we look at our grandparents and we know the lineage that we came from and we're going to pull some of those traits in. And just knowing my background and my family's background, it was very traditional, not conservative. It was traditional in the mindset of we didn't travel a lot. We didn't visit other countries. We didn't have open thoughts about people around the world other than what we were getting from the news. And we know that our news is not necessarily always saying the full story. So there were just some intersections there in my life where I said, okay, if I keep continue to go down the road that I've gone down in these first 35, 40 years of my life, I see where that ends up and I see how there's potential for me to have a very closed mind and a closed heart. And having done some learning in my late 20s and early 30s about the misconceptions and having some friends that had gone out there and started traveling the world and brought back those stories about you know, all the stories we all heard if we didn't travel growing up, which is like a lot of the things you've learned from the news is wrong. That was where that kind of intersection of all those ideas, I said, you know what, you've been through a few cycles. Are you just going to keep going through these same cycles and then end up 10, 20 years down the road pissed off that you kept going down the same cycles? You saw the warning signs of where your life was going or, you know, where your brain was going, where your heart was going, and you decided to keep doing that. Or let's derail that right now and make some uncomfortable decisions to change that end result. It sounds kind of obvious and clear. (laughs) There's so much discomfort that comes with people just making that decision. I mean, even having that awareness that you were headed in a direction that you didn't feel was right for you in your life and you wanted to open your mind and your horizons. I think that in itself is an incredible characteristic and something I'm so glad that you're speaking about because I also wonder with COVID if there'll be a big ripple effect of fear And just this getting used to isolation, getting used to not leaving places. A lot of people had that already. Travel in general seems to be something that I guess like for me, I could take it for granted because my family traveled a lot. I had work that would lead me to different places. But over time, I've realized, especially during my cross-country road trips, I would come across people who had never left their state. And just hearing about me driving from state to state was shocking for them. A lot of people are actually very confused by that. Like, why would you drive around the country? That in itself feels easy to me. Traveling around the world feels a little bit harder, especially during this time. But I just feel like not everybody even has that moment that you had of thinking about how important travel is and prioritizing that. And I'm curious what you've learned about inspiring others. Like, what reactions do you get from people? And have there been moments where you've inspired somebody directly to? completely shift out of their comfort zone and start traveling? Yeah, I think there have been plenty of those examples. I should probably back up. And this is probably a great time to interject kind of the quick cliffs notes of my life over the past five years. Essentially, in my late 20s, I had a friend at work who said, hey, me and my girlfriend are going to sell everything. We're going to go travel Europe and Asia for as long as our money holds out. And we're like, what? You're going to do what? And they literally had a tag sale and sold everything in their condo. And they went and traveled Europe and Asia on $18,000 for eight months between the two of them. And he started blogging back then. And I started reading about people around the world and what they were doing and started to open my mind up. It was like one of those seeds that was planted. So from there, I got into my 30s. I tried a hostel, I think the first time whenever I was 30 years old by myself in the US. And you know, there were these early things that I would touch on in my early 30s where it's like, okay, I'm trying a thing, but there was not a lot of lasting from that. Late 30s, I had been self-employed for seven or eight years at that point. And we talked about those cycles earlier, like those points in our lives where it's like, wait a second, have I been here before? I've literally looked at journals that I've written in. And two years later, I was writing the same things. And I was like, this feels familiar. And I'll flip back. And and it's the same thing that I wrote two years prior. And it's like, okay, these are aha moments that we need to pay attention to. So essentially, late 30s came around and I had seen this cycle of contracts with my big architectural projects that I was taking being self-employed, where if I took a contract, I was in it for three to five years, period. 
There was no getting out of it. Big contracts for airports and signage and stuff like that, boring things. But then every two years, three years or so during those big five-year contracts, I would get another three to five-year contract. It's this unending cycle of good fortune. It paid the bills. It gave me opportunities, but it wasn't allowing me to do these things like broaden my horizons and travel. And I came to that point where I said I was going to get two new contracts or I was going to get a contract with one of my two architects. They were bidding on the same job and I was the only one included on their teams. So I was going to get this project for five to 10 years. And I had to look at them and say, I'm going to pass on this because I'm going to make some changes to my life. And one of those architects actually got pissed at me and gave me a call and was like, what the hell? You don't want to work with us anymore? And I was like, no, it's not that. I've just seen this moment many times and I need to make a change. Those folks were unhappy with some of the decisions I made initially, but they actually came around and now they're asking all sorts of questions still about things. My family, they were freaked out. You know, I just gave away the opportunity for 90% of my income and late 30s, single, but I still had obligations. I still had health issues at that point. And they're looking at me going, what are you doing? Like, why are you throwing all this stuff away? Which I hate that term. We have so many opportunities to do the same things we've already done. If you did this thing in your 20s and you want to pivot and then try it again in your 30s, you're going to do it just as good, if not better, later on with your life experiences. So don't think you're ever throwing anything away. There's probably some examples that are true. So anyways, in my late 30s, I said, okay, how are you really, since you just cut the cord with this location-dependent life to give you the opportunity to potentially work anywhere around the world or work on a computer from wherever, how are you going to really prove that this is something that's right for you? You can't just sit around for five or 10 years and then wait for it to decide whether it's right for you. I, I said, let's do some things. So like one of those years in 2017, I said, all right, you're not going to sleep in your bed for one quarter of the year. That was my challenge to myself. If you really think you want to live this nomadic lifestyle, you better start living somewhere other than your comfort zone. So that year, I literally didn't sleep in my bed for a quarter of the year, 92 days out of that year. The next year, New Year's came around and I said, all right, well, you can't do the same thing because that's stagnation. That's not progress. What are you going to do now? And I said, all right, a third year. So that next year, I didn't sleep in my bed for 122 days. And you know whether that was just staying at a friend's place in another state or whether it was actual real travel outside the US or to another city, the goal there was do the hard work to challenge yourself and give you enough inputs to realize whether this is something you want to do that's comfortable with you or it's just something you feel like you should try. Because we do a lot of things in our lives that society kind of makes us feel like we should do or, oh, that thing looks fun. I really want to be a guy that owns motorcycles. And if you don't enjoy it, then don't do it just because of these pressures. <laughs> that's an example from my life. So anyways, after that second year of traveling 122 days of the year, the end of that year, I was turning 40. I saw my third country outside the US, which was Mexico. I bought a one-way ticket to Mexico. Because I said, okay, you've slept outside your comfort zone. You've done these things, but you haven't really traveled to these other countries to see if living on the road is something that makes you comfortable, that you enjoy. So I bought a one-way ticket to Mexico. And you talk about people looking at you sideways. My family, my friends, the coworkers, especially in the bigger corporations, companies, a lot of folks just looking at me like, what? What are you doing? just because of their misconceptions that they had or their deep-seated thoughts about different countries and different people. So I went down to Mexico for three weeks and there was great things about that trip and there were extremely scary things about that trip. But at the end of it, after three weeks, I was like, okay, pretty good. I was working, I was being productive. I felt like I was still giving something. I was writing creatively as well as doing my work. So essentially after that, I said, I don't want this house anymore. And so I decided to sell my house in 2019, kind of took off after that. Six months later, COVID hit. Six months after that was when I was diagnosed type one diabetic. And then, you know, we're pretty much caught up to Portugal a couple of months ago. So that was the whirlwind of the past four or five years of my life and kind of starting and just some of the experiments where I said, okay, how are you really going to challenge yourself and decide whether this is something that you want, not just something you think you want? I imagine going back to people's reactions, you touched upon people reacting similar to how I've experienced of being a bit confused or taken aback or questioning you. And what about the people that have felt like, wow, seeing you do this has inspired me to do the same? Have you experienced that yet? Or is there a story of someone coming along with you perhaps on a trip or planning their own trip? because of what you've laid out for them in your experiences? I think the most interesting one that always rises to the surface for me is the, assuming my dad listens to this podcast, which he probably will. I don't talk about it much, but it's actually the change that I see in my dad. And it's under the surface. I think that he realizes it a little bit, but I don't think that he realizes it to the extent that I do. He was kind of part of the reason that I said to myself, hey, you need to work on yourself and open your mind up a little bit. 
he was one of those first ones that was like, son, what are you doing? I'm worried about you. I don't care how old you are. You're still my kid. Like, I want you to make good decisions. I want you to be safe, your health to be taken care of. We had a conversation at Christmas. We were at my grandfather's house, his dad's house in Ohio. We both live in the Carolinas, but we were up there visiting. And it was late one night, we had a drink or two. And he's like, aren't you just stressed out and scared all the time? And I was like, yeah, but I was that way before this. I would rather be doing things that inspire me and make me feel like I'm progressing than stagnating and still feeling the same way. I was kind of broke before and broke at the moment. I don't want to be broke forever, but if all's the same, I want to do these things. Eventually, now I've seen him start to open up to these ideas of international travel in places around the world. And as he sees me traveling to places where the cost of living is a little bit better and his whole idea of life was, I got to work for 65 years. I got to have so much money in the bank to retire. Now he's starting to see that, okay, well, maybe I don't have to work all that time. I just need to change the way that I'm viewing, you know, where I'm going to live my life and where my experiences are going to be. So just seeing that the light bulbs turn on, and I don't want to say the light bulbs, it's the seeds growing in certain people like that, where in my mom, you know, a lot of those folks are the ones that I've seen every day of my life. And I can really see those conversations changing in them. Whereas, you know, some friends that you only see every few months or so, they want to know what's going on. They want to hear about your new trip. So you might not necessarily see that change on the surface. So yeah, actually the biggest one, sorry to change course here. My nephew just took a seasonal job and he had the same upbringing that I did. He never really left Ohio. He was kind of in that tunnel vision of probably going to be here for the rest of your life. And the opportunities aren't that big. And I finally told him, I was like, why do you keep taking these jobs for money? Why don't you try and take a job that you enjoy? Something that you want to see. You love being outside. The next day he had applied to five jobs in seasonal work. And now he's on a mountain in Big Sky, Montana, working as a manager in a pizza shop because he said, you're right, I'm either going to work in a pizza shop in my hometown for the next five months, or I can go try this thing in this new place. And my mind was blown. The fact that he actually applied for the jobs, the fact that he got the jobs and he didn't have the qualifications or that he's not smart enough to do it. It's just he's going. And so that's probably the biggest one for sure. I love that story. And just stories like that show the power of telling stories because it just that in itself makes me want to travel. Picturing him at this job in Montana during the winter is just like, wow, you know, and once I started to feel more confident traveling, which taking road trips really made a big difference for me, especially given the current conditions and my personal comfort level with COVID. I thought, okay, what do I feel physically safe doing versus like the mental safety, stretching yourself beyond that? And for me, that is exploring the country and doing it in my car and having a bit more control. But there does require a lot of discomfort. And something that really helped me push out of my boundaries was seeing things that other people were doing, especially online, and just kind of noticing my reaction to it. Is this something that I really find myself saying, I want to go do that? And I got into the practice of every time I would see a video of someone in a different part of the country or even the world, I would save that to Google Maps. Because in Google Maps, you can create these lists of bookmarks based on the map. And I started doing this last year, bookmarking every place that looked really amazing that I wanted to go visit one day. And it actually helped shape my plan because I was seeing other people do something that looked incredible. And speaking of Montana, one of the most incredible places I went was Glacier National Park. And I remember the moment of being in that park, looking at this one particular part that I had seen in somebody's video. I was looking at it in person, not just on the screen. And it was this realization like, wow, I did this and I can do this. Also simultaneously, something that I, I didn't intend to talk about, but I'm curious what your experience has been like in terms of documenting. You've written a book. You're documenting it through these conversations, these stories that you're writing or speaking on. What about social media? Do you feel like documenting it on camera or video or still photos takes away from your experience and savoring it? Is it something that you consciously do or don't do? And how do you keep yourself in the present moment to really take in where you're at versus what a lot of people tend to do these days is capture their travels for other people or capture it for themselves in the future? <laughs> I'm really curious about your perspectives on that. You know, we touched on that for a second before our conversation about, you know, social media and that whole hustle thing. And you got to put stuff out on a schedule and make it relevant and tag all the words and this and the other. Yes, I'm fairly conscious about those things. 
one of the ways that I'm wired is a little bit anti-system or something like that. I've never liked the whole be connected 24-7. I used to be a studio manager at my graphic design firm. And I used to tell people, if you're on vacation next week, don't check your email. Don't call work. Don't check with the client. Take your time for yourself. So I've had that rooted deep down inside of me for a long time. So I do struggle with the idea of being someone who makes their living through these mediums, or that's a, a major part of people finding my book or my other content is through these mediums. So I like to say that I'm bad at social media, but I think I'm actually quite good at it because I'll ignore it for a while. You know, there are some nice things where I can schedule some stuff. I can batch some photos together from a trip and I can say, okay, set it and forget it. And I don't have to worry about plugging into that thing. But there's definitely this trap where who am I doing this for? Why am I shooting this photo? Why am I shooting it from this angle? I saw a girl in, she was probably early 20s, maybe late teens when I was in Portugal recently. And I saw her set up her DSLR for about 30 minutes in this hallway in this old museum. So it was a really interesting museum, but there was nobody there. She and I were the only ones in there. And I saw her for 30 minutes set up her DSLR and run over to this ledge and jump up on it and grab her book and act like she was reading a book on this ledge. And I left the room. Then 15 minutes later, I came back and she was doing it. So it was at least 20 or 30 minutes. And it just made me so sad. Like we have a lot of people that are spending their time worrying so much about what other people are looking at. So for me, the other part of that answer is I have a friend who tells me that I need more selfies. And I'm kind of like, sorry, that's not what I do. I don't like those. I don't want people to be inspired by my face. I want them to be inspired by what they see in the world. And because I do love photography and I want to learn and be better at photography, I know that what I'm shooting is way prettier than my face. <laughs> um. Before March 2020, every guest on this show recorded with me in person because I wanted to ensure the highest quality sound possible. But this took extra time and effort to produce, plus it limited me to people who were visiting or living in Los Angeles. When I switched to Zencaster, I realized how much easier remote recording was for me and my guests. Now everyone can easily record studio quality sound from the comfort of their own homes. If you want to try it out, visit Zencaster.com and enter the code WELLEVATOR to receive 30% off your first three months of the pro plan, which is what I use. I can't wait to hear your show, so send it over to me as soon as it's live. So for me, that's important is I want people to look at these images and go, wow, I want to, like you said, you were in Glacier, you saw the place and you didn't go there because of the person that told you to see the place. You saw this place and you were inspired by it. Yes, they were the conduit to getting you to see that, but that's what's important for me. So this whole slow growth thing where hit on my follower counts or this, that, or the other, or my book sales are slow. I'm okay with that because I want people that if they choose to pay attention to what I'm saying or what I'm putting out there, they're doing it for the right reasons. They're not doing it because I'm pandering to them or because I'm choosing the right messages that are getting social media reach this week. But yeah, I do have to take a break quite often and just leave my camera and just be in those moments. You know, luckily, when you've never seen a lot of the world, everything is new and there's always something beautiful that's new to you. So you know it's going to be new to somebody else. So I can go out for a day in Portugal and shoot 20 great images because if this place is amazing to me and I've never seen it, it's probably amazing to somebody else who has never seen it. So my word for this year is batching. It's kind of like doing more things all at once that are within the same mindset so that you can free up some of your time to enjoy the other ones instead of being scatterbrained the whole time. So that's part of my philosophy going into photography and social media. I think that's so beautiful. And I think social media in general thrives when it's different. And there's actually something really special these days about someone who doesn't post a lot on social media, because it feels like so many people are constantly posting. And we've been conditioned through these marketing messages and the algorithm that you always have to post, you have to share everything about yourself and everything that you do. It does take away from the present moment for many of us. I noticed this a lot too during my travels. The first time I did my road trip cross country, I felt like I had to document everything. And there were moments where I'm like, I felt like I had to stop and pause in my travels to post it. And I found myself resisting that because something I learned, and I'm sure you experienced this too, especially with international travel, you get so tired. You know, like so much of travel is getting somewhere, resting from it so that you have enough energy to go do something. And then the thing that you're doing all day is so draining, then you need to rest again. And I noticed through my travels that it actually helped me be more present 
because I had to focus on my basic needs. If I was super focused on documenting everything, it'd be taking away from me actually experiencing it. And that was such an important lesson. I also found myself feeling this pressure to eventually post. I have years of footage from the past three years of travel or four or five years now. Like when I went to Greece, I documented all of my experiences there and I've never posted about it. And I felt kind of this guilt. But then I realized, to your point, a lot of that was for me. A lot of that was me hoping I would get some sort of outcome from it. But the truth is that the value of that footage is either in me looking back with nostalgia for what I did, maybe revisiting some of it, or maybe truly inspiring somebody to go do it too. But it's not about bragging about my life or trying to make more money or getting more followers. That side of it did not appeal. I really value people like you who are in that mindset. And it reminds me of a trend in social media posts I've seen a lot lately where people will show a famous place, what it looks like in photos, and then they'll pan the camera around and show what it looks like outside of that limited view that we've regularly seen. And one of the common things that you'll see when the camera pans is a line of people waiting to take the exact same photo. There was one, I think, somewhere in China, maybe, an Asian country where literally everybody is in line to take the same photo or the same video. And you see them all in the line waiting, sometimes for like an hour, just to take that photo, just to take that video. And it's this reminder of often what we see on social media is not as blissful because maybe if you looked at that photo or video, you would think, oh, they're all by themselves and they're free and having this great experience. But the reality is that there's all these strangers waiting to kind of create that whole experience that isn't true. And I felt kind of sad when I saw that specific. I don't know where it was, but it just brought up the sadness, just similar to what you were describing in that Portugal experience of it's not a judgment necessarily. It's just that this girl, my interpretation is that she's spending 30 minutes just trying to create this image of herself versus what you were experienced walking around and actually taking it all in and savoring the fact that it was just the two of you there so that you could enjoy it for yourself. For her, she was almost doing the opposite of trying to create an experience for other people. It is tough to talk about these things without having this air of judgment. <laughs> you know. But the reality is that we have to have contrast. We have to see both sides of the coin to be able to make a decision between one side. You need to see these things and say, wait, do I do these things? Have I done these things? And yes, we all have, I think. But sometimes you have that jarring moment where it's like, okay, I'm supposed to pay attention to this right now. And how am I really going to listen to this moment? So yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. I actually saw, I may have seen it on your feed. I saw that video of the folks on the bridge and the lines and things like that. I will say, you know, to speak to this nomadic life that I now have chosen to live. And I say this every time I write something down or share a photo if you can just get there early or go late and not have to subscribe as much to the tourist timeline. And that's a hard thing. You actually have to put in the years of work to say, I'm going to change my life to have more freedom. When you finally do that, then you can go in the shoulder seasons or you can go at the times when everybody isn't there. And one of the things I'm very happy about with a lot of my photography is that there's very few times when I actually have to wait for people to move out of the way because I just make it a point to get there when I do have the place to myself. You commented on a photo from Inishmore in, in Ireland. And I was there shortly after I sold my house a couple of years ago. I went to Europe for two months and that was my first real trip to Europe. And I started in Ireland and I went to the islands of Inishmore for three days. But it was just at the start of the off season, the slow season, where this island has 800 inhabitants technically. And every day of the summer, it goes up by 500% because that's how many people they bring in on ferries that want to visit these islands. Well, in the shoulder seasons, they only have one ferry a day and that ferry is half full. And those people are only on the island from 10 o'clock until about 4.30. So I stayed on the island for three nights in one of the empty hostels. This entire three days, two nights on this island ended up costing me $220 total. That was my hostel. That was the Guinness that I was drinking while watching the sunsets. That was renting a bike so that I could go to these places by myself. And I had all these crazy, amazing cliffs and archaeological marvels to myself with not a soul in sight because I had built in a little bit more flexibility of when I could travel. And the other side of that is 
making choices about travel. Like what's important to you? Is the time of year or following certain temperatures or this side or the other important to you? Or is being able to travel more important to you? Because just choosing shoulder seasons, it's less expensive. Yes, you might have not perfect conditions, but they're far from imperfect. So there's just all these tweaks that people can do to make different choices about their travel where they can probably have more amazing things to themselves instead of just following what all the guidebooks say is the right time to go to this place. Well, the right time for me is when there's not a lot of people there and I can actually explore it for myself and it happens to be less expensive. Absolutely. Yeah, that's when I went to Greece and it was a little disappointing because I went in November and it was really cold. <laughs> I was funny enough, I was not prepared with my attire because all of the advice about Greece was based on the summer seasons, the warm seasons. So everything was about dresses and bathing suits. And that's what I packed. And I barely used any of those clothes because I mean, truly struggled to find advice about what to wear in Greece in the winter. And so much was closed. There was a lot of downsides, but the upside was exactly what you just shared, that I got to experience so much of that country with barely anyone around. And so it actually helped with photos as well. But just being able to take in with the solitude, I much prefer to your point, and I think did end up being much more affordable. Greece, too, is one of those places where a lot of the photos that you see on Instagram, especially in Santorini, one of those islands where, uh, or Mykonos, you see like these buildings and these beautiful sunsets. But that is like one of the perfect examples of if you just looked behind the camera, you would see all the crowds or people would reveal that they had to edit out all the people around to make it look like no one else was there. And when I learned things like that, it made me feel sad because the reality of the situation was so different than what the photos showed. And I think that's part of the danger. And speaking of perhaps a danger of misconceptions or what maybe all this social media promotion can do is the impact of tourism on places like you mentioned. And I would love to touch upon that with you. You know, when you're talking about these areas where there's not a lot of people living somewhere or there's all this beautiful nature around, we have to be very mindful about what tourism does to it, whether that's the people living there and how the tourism affects them for better or for worse. Financially, there's incentives, but we're also in somebody's space in a lot of ways. But then, of course, the nature side of it and the damage that we can do if we're not paying attention to the impact of us walking in certain areas or taking things. And I've noticed in my travels, signs up like don't take the rocks from this beach because if everyone takes the rocks, there won't be any left or sand. Even when I went to White Sands National Park, there's sand everywhere, but they had signs up. Don't take any of this sand home. And I remember having to pause for a second to think about that because it felt like it was in such abundance that I realized that everybody who went to that park took some of that sand home there might not be any left. And we have to be trained to think about these things because we can become very ignorant of our impact as tourists. So I'm curious, Jason, what you've learned about tourism and impact through your travels and how have you shaped that into your trips? So there was a moment probably two years ago, and this was before I was really even touching Instagram much, when I saw somebody's posts and I noticed they were at a place that I had seen before. I'm like, I went to look at their geotag and their geotag was very general. And I started looking into it more. And that was kind of at the beginning where this conversation about not geotagging places started. And now, you know, there's certain places, you know, for instance, I was just in Portugal and Pena Palace in Sintra. Like it is a tourist destination that the entire reason Pena Palace is open now is as a tourist destination. That particular massive, you know, mile by mile property, no one lives there. It's left to represent this era that was in the past. Counter that with something like Horseshoe Bend out in, I don't know if it's Utah or Colorado. But that's one of those places where they've had such huge growth in the past two or three years that there's trash everywhere. They can't grow enough you know, the parking lots fast enough to get people parked in the right places. So you do have these. There's no great answer for this. This is a conversation that can go on forever. But I think part of the answer is I talk about this in the book and, and in my writings is being a responsible person, a responsible human, a responsible tourist. That starts with having time. 
And that time allows you to go at times when it's not, you know, overloaded with people or in the shoulder seasons and to spread out that travel so that's actually manageable by these places because people aren't going to stop traveling. We just need to make sure that we're smarter about how many people we're allowing to travel into properties or onto properties, timing systems in our national parks, things like that, that get a lot of negative looks are really important because you know, I've been in national parks where, you know, I lost a tear or two because I saw how bad the destruction of the heavy season in our national parks is. This was actually during the first year of COVID and our national parks were just getting decimated by crowds and crowds of people. And I saw in the fall, Yosemite National Park and just how bad it looked. Like it just looked like it had been beaten up by months of overtreading. So there's ways to be more responsible. I think that the other biggest way is to be a human being towards the other human beings where you are traveling. And that doesn't just mean to other tourists. That means more importantly to the places that you're traveling. I encourage people to learn 10 to 20 words or phrases and try to speak in a language where you're going. Even if it's a difficult language, just show that compassion that this is not your place. You need to show respect that you're in someone else's home, someone else's country. And how can you do that in small ways? I think if everybody did a few of these things a little bit more, it would go a long way. I had quite a few conversations lately about how there's a lot of people traveling to these places that are really just there because they want to take whatever they can from it, whether it's visually or memory wise, and they're really not concerned about how they're hurting that. There was a post this morning by one of the parks that I follow and they have trail cams. And they literally had four or five pictures without people's faces or things like that of people defecating off the side of the trail, of people urinating in the water, of people having their dogs play where there aren't even supposed to be dogs on the property. And, and that conversation was, you know, come on, everybody, if we work together a little bit, we can make these places last longer and be better. And then call your friends out, call your mom, call your dad out. If they do something that is disrespectful toward our lands or somebody else, look at them and go, why did you do that? Can you not do that? You know, that feels disrespectful to me because I cherish this place and I don't want that to happen. So I think that's back to those difficult conversations. Like we need to have them with ourselves, but we need to be able to have them with those people around us. And, you know, if you can't break those cycles and people that you care about, well, those cycles aren't going to get broken. I'm going through in my head. I'm sure I've done plenty of things like that out of ignorance. And that was another big lesson for me. I had not really camped that much before last year. I really didn't understand the concept of leave no trace. And the amount of things that I probably did while camping that were no-nos, but I just was ignorant of it. And that's why books like yours are so important. This is all these nuances of travel and things to consider. And you really have to educate yourself and simultaneously have compassion for people that aren't educated. And to your point, that's where we need to have these conversations with each other and speak about it regularly and understand people are all at different journeys and levels of awareness when it comes to how they're doing things. And also understand that that's why there are regulations in place. One thing I remember about last year's road trip going to national parks is places like Glacier had lotteries in place where you actually had to, like based on when you wanted to go to the trip, you had to get a special pass and they only had a limited amount to certain parts of the park. And on social media, people were livid about this and saying things like, you ruined my whole trip because I didn't win the lottery and now I can't go and it's a complete waste. And, you know, just being so angry about this. But it's exactly like you said, the reason that that was put in place was because these parks are recognizing that they can't have that many people there. Otherwise, it's going to destroy the park and it won't be <laughs> a park anymore. And also, you bringing up Yosemite and Yellowstone both. Like I saw so many posts about the traffic. Yosemite in particular, I'm shocked at how bad the traffic has become there and people being stuck for hours just trying to either drive into the parks or within the parks, people don't even know how to drive properly. It can be a very chaotic and it does require planning to avoid that. As you mentioned, just getting to a park super early in the morning and planning your day around the touristy parts of the parks can make a huge difference. Otherwise, you're spending a huge chunk of your time waiting in traffic lines. <laughs> or being around all these people who might be super disrespectful. I am very grateful to have Zencaster as a sponsor. They have been so supportive of the show through social media and newsletter shout outs. Plus, they have truly incredible customer service. Their all-in-one podcast production platform keeps getting better and better because they take user feedback seriously. 
I'm especially grateful for the HD video recording features, which makes it easy to put this show on YouTube and social media. If you want to try it out, visit Zencaster.com. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com. It's free to try, and you can enter the code WELLEVATOR to receive 30% off your first three months of their pro plan, which, as I mentioned, is what I use for this show. If you have any questions about podcasting, send me a message, and I'd be happy to share more tips and tricks. Going back to your book, I'm really excited to read this. I started looking through the table of contents and I think it's going to be incredibly helpful for me on my next trip. There are a couple of things that I am really grateful you included. One was the section, don't stop buying dumb shit. (laughs) I'm not sure if that's referring to budgeting, like, hey, be mindful of what you buy in general so that you can save money for travel, which I think is an important point. Since I haven't read it yet, is that referencing stop buying dumb travel shit, like things you don't need to travel with? It could be both, but that specifically is in your normal life. Since we haven't kind of gone over what this book is yet, this book is started as a culmination of those four or five years of me creating my own experiments to take me from having never traveled and being scared of the world and scared of all of these things that I had never done and saying, that's not an excuse. How are you going to get from point A to point B, literally and figuratively? So after those four so years of me going from having never traveled to now choosing to be location independent and a world traveler for all the messy parts that that involves compared to our status quo or our normal keeping up with the Joneses, I said, well, this is kind of a blueprint. All the things that I mentally, through my analytical brain, went through over this time, this looks like a blueprint. So this book is all about the mental, emotional, physical, financial, all of these different buckets that you actually need to look at whenever you're going to make a massive change in your life, whether it has to do with travel or whether it has to do with just a massive job shift or changing to a different state. Like there's not just, I'm going to flip a switch and go do these things. There's all these waterfalling issues. So this book takes the lens of travel, but it really is more of a self-help, motivational, self-growth book about life and looking at what's causing you to do certain things. How can you get over that hurdle and how can you rinse and repeat and refine and get to that next step? And what is that next step? So the one that you're asking about the stop buying dumb shit, Gary Vaynerchuk, who cusses about a million times more than I do, he said it a couple of years ago. And I just, I was just like, God, it's so easy. It's so simple. It's just stop buying dumb shit. And that is, if we could all do that, and let's caveat back to everything we've talked about. Like we're going to learn until the day we die. So every time you and I make a statement, we're talking about ourselves, we're talking about other people, we're talking about us yesterday and tomorrow. We're going to fight these battles repeatedly. It's a matter of continuing to refine and repeat and refine. But yeah, Stop Buying Dumb Shit is all about just choosing in your normal life to say, I have five subscriptions to streaming services, and those services are costing me $1,500 a year if I don't get rid of them. I just lived in Portugal for about $1,800 a month. So there's just all these things where if we can stop ignoring our finances or ignoring the uncomfortable parts about budgeting or looking at that stuff where it's like, you can find the money to travel and then you can't say that travel is too expensive anymore. I also loved a similar section, which was redefining your wants and needs, which really ties into how you even define dumb shit, right? Because as you mentioned, it's a case-by-case basis. It's all relative to our lives. What one person needs might be different from what somebody else needs. And also knowing the difference between wants and needs is incredibly important when it comes to our finances. And also, as you mentioned, we can be so influenced by other people, by the media, by the status quo, that we get our wants and needs confused. We think that we need to have a Netflix subscription, but maybe if we think about how much value that's giving us and what's actually more important, where our priorities, it makes a huge difference. I also love this chapter that came after that, which is don't underestimate the power of words. And I'm a big advocate for conscious languaging and really try to notice what I'm saying and what it actually means. I would love to hear you talk a little bit more about that in terms of travel. Yeah. So there's a clear flow to this book. And, you know, the chapters build upon each other and those two specifically build upon each other because we lie to ourselves a lot. And I think some of the examples I used in that chapter of wants and needs is like, I need a beer. No, you never need a beer. 
I don't know that there's a physical condition that says you need a beer. You might really want a beer because you had a rough day and you just want to wallow and watch Netflix. <laughs> I'm ready to go back. We're getting a pretty good ad for Netflix here. But, you know, using those reality between those wants and those needs and really saying, is this a want? Need? And this is one of those few areas where it may be more black and white than most things. And I do see our world on a gray spectrum. I don't think there's a lot of things that are hard black and white. But if there are some things where you can say, is this a want or is this a need? And there's a pretty fine line between that. I'm a type one diabetic. I need insulin. I don't want it. I don't want to have to shoot it up. I need that. So I need to find money to pay for those bills. And I need to do these things because that is a need. I want a beer or I want to go hang out with my friends at that expensive place. I can choose to say, we're not going to go to that expensive place because really what I want there is to be with my friends. And that's where, you know, back to that, stop buying dumb shit. I would much rather personally spend two hours in the kitchen having cheap bottle of wine with friends than go to a restaurant where we don't pay attention to our surroundings, but we spend three to four times more money and we have to talk over loud noises. So you can accomplish both things there. But, you know, going to that next chapter about the use of words. I think because we are always in our own heads, we really do have to change our own soundtracks. And when we say certain things, we need to be truthful with ourselves. I'm not too tired to exercise. I'm choosing not to go exercise. It's I haven't had time to do this thing. That's not true. You haven't prioritized your time in a way to where you're going to do that thing. So these are minor tweaks, but I think that if we're more real with ourselves on the truth about these situations, we'll probably make some better decisions about how we spend our time and how we spend our money in the long term. You do have to be careful not to just get down on yourself the whole time because you're lying to yourself or you've created the soundtrack that's not necessarily based on fact. But I think once you get over that initial hurdle of saying, you know, I want to be more honest with myself and I want to be more honest with those people around me, it gets a lot easier. At least you can call bullshit on yourself a lot more than maybe you have in your past. <laughs> Yeah. And this is all about getting through your comfort zones. And we can be very comfortable in the things that we say. And that does reinforce our belief systems. The more that we keep talking the way that we've always been speaking, then we kind of are stuck in this confirmation bias, right? Like we're telling ourselves, this is important and I can't change and I need to do it this way. And a lot of times when I find myself saying things like that, I take a moment and really ask, like, is it true? A lot of times it's not true. It's just an old belief system, a habit that I've had. I absolutely agree. It's such a huge part of this all. I wanted to get back into the finances of it too, because I think that's seemingly one of the major things that people either use as, as an excuse and maybe that covers up their own discomfort. Like they use money to convince themselves they can't do it. Or time. You talked about time as well. Both of them play a role in being a nomad. You know, doing work on the road is a great way to travel because some people think that they're stuck at home because of their jobs. And more and more, we are finding that companies are open to working from home and home could be anywhere if you're a nomad. So that's how I've been able to travel. People often ask, how are you able to travel on the road for three months? It's because I work anywhere remotely with my computer. It's wonderful. Now, that's not necessarily available to everyone given their circumstances, but I would love to hear more about your life and how you changed. Because as you mentioned, you had this old job and you had to shift or you chose to shift. I'm curious about how that all worked out financially, like things like debt, things like shifting the structure of your finances and making room for travel. I imagine this is something you touch upon in the book, but perhaps you can share some of the basics and maybe some best practices you've learned. Yeah. So by the time I was 28, so I graduated college and then moved to North Carolina from Ohio. By the time I was 28, I was $50,000 in debt and single. And part of the caveat of this conversation is that I'm single. I've never been married. I don't have kids. And I understand how those can change the complexion of any conversation. That said, there's still similar hurdles and similar choices that have to be made to get from point A to B in any of these situations. I was $50,000 in debt at age 28, and I realized that that was not a good long-term trajectory <laughs> another one of those times. Actually, I was getting out of a relationship, not my choice, but I realized that had I entered that relationship long-term and gotten married and wanted kids, that I was going to be this massive weight in the relationship. And I said, I don't want to be that if I ever get this opportunity again. And so over four years, I paid off $50,000, and I think I was making you know, this is different depending on where everybody lives, obviously, but I was making $36,000 a year 
living in a fairly large U.S. city, you know, Charlotte's one of the top 20 largest U.S. cities. So not an inexpensive place to live, but that was my goal. And I had a crazy, crazy budget that was like, you get $10 a week for entertainment. And that includes your beer and a movie or anything like that's 10 bucks a week. And I did this for like three to four years, paid off that 50,000. So first and foremost, you got to figure out how to get out of debt and shit happens. Keep getting out of it if you get back in it and figure that equation out. Number two, this goes back to those stop buying dumb shit and make better choices, needs versus wants. I didn't spend money on things that I didn't need. And my want that was close to a need was to travel. That was my priority. I said, okay, if that's what your life's going to be, you're going to make your money, pay your bills, and then you're going to save everything or use everything to travel. It also goes back to our upbringing. I was taught that travel's too expensive or it's too scary or you need to fear it. So I had to get rid of all those misconceptions because I had already had that seed planted back in my 20s that travel doesn't look like it always has to be expensive. So maybe I should learn a little bit more about that. Maybe I should learn about this side of travel that where it's not expensive or how are these people doing this long term? And that I feel like this record's been playing for 10 or 20 years now, but there's still a lot of people that are new to it. There's just ways to travel where it doesn't cost a lot of money. And it's essentially, for me, I don't travel like a tourist. Working on the road is difficult. I have to find a place to work. So for instance, this was when I was in Lisbon for six weeks, I couldn't just work in my hostel every day and have podcast interviews while there's people in the hostel running around behind me and bad internet. I had to pay for a co-working space that I could go to every day, Monday through Friday, so that I could actually get work done. I wasn't doing these expensive touristy things all the time. I was doing them once or twice a month. And then I was simply enjoying this new part of the world for a month or two. And that there's enough visual enrichment in a place to last three to 12 months and your eyes are still going to be wide open to where I think that's a shift between a tourist mentality and a traveler's mentality or a long-term travel mentality. And I actually talk about that in the book, the difference between the tourist mindset and a traveler type of a mindset, which that has to do with impact, that has to do with time, it has to do with exhaustion, it has to do with the food you eat. I'm very happy to say I didn't gain a lot of weight whenever I was in Portugal for three months, no matter with all the great food and all this different stuff, because I'm not there to binge on things. I'm there to live. And for me, that means paying attention to my budget. It means paying attention to my health. It means paying attention to my family, my friends back home, all of those things. I just happen to be in a different place. You know, that's part of that reprioritization that I did back when I started to go down this road was, you know, if travel is truly that priority, figure out financially where that fits and know how much money you need to make a year to make that lifestyle happen. I was just doing my budget the other day. I do it once a year, traditionally around January, because it's set up, it's ready to go. It's all plugged in. So I really just need to keep an eye on it and say, okay, what has changed? What hasn't? Where's my income coming from? Can I choose to make more? Can I make less so that I can enjoy my freedom a little bit more? That's just a part of this deep dive of life to say, where are your priorities? And I think one of the things we haven't touched on here is how long life is. I think a lot of people that have that, why would you throw it all away mentality, think that life is fleeting and it's going to go really fast. And yes, there are situations where life is fleeting, but for the most part, average lifespans are 70 plus years just for us Americans. And we're kind of going downhill. Most of the people listening to this podcast, based on your demographics, still have half of their life left based on just pure numbers. So to say to yourself, let me take a year or two or three years and really explore something that could change the next 30 years of my life, it's such a small amount of time to really kind of figure out what is more right for you than what you might be going through at this moment. Beautifully said. It's so important. And I think travel really helps you figure out your priorities on so many levels. Like you said, before you travel, you need to re-examine your priorities just to make it work time and financially. But also while you're traveling, you really get, as you've said so many times, this greater perspective on life. I feel like you are able to be more present because you're doing something out of your norm and it shakes you awake and you can't help but be in awe of your surroundings in most cases, especially if you're not on your phone the whole time. And that is what keeps bringing me back to travel, even just driving to a different part of the state or sometimes even the different part of your city or your town and just saying, okay, I'm going to experience something for the first time and I'm going to make sure I've set my day aside for it, I've scheduled for it, or I'm going to put aside some money. That's something I actually started doing in the past month for the first time. In the past, when I would travel, it would be kind of spontaneous 
And I would either put it on credit cards, which is not something I want to do anymore because I don't want to put myself further in debt. Or I would just like look at my current budget and then decide how I could travel within that. Now I'm trying to plan months in advance and I set aside in my savings account a special section just for travel so that when I plan travel, even if it's six months, nine months later, I have that money set aside or I have a plan to put money into this fund every single month. And wow, does that make a huge difference? But I really only learned to do that because of my past experiences. So that's why traveling has helped me refine my priorities over and over again. So that's actually a trick that long-term travelers kind of use is if you can pay for your travel, well, travel expenses, just the idea of taking a week off work in our current work, work, work society, like all of those things cause people so much stress. I'm saying that like people listening to this don't know that. It requires some emphasis, like how can you reduce that stress? And that's one of the ways that you can do that is pay for your trips well ahead of time. So if you can continue to get ahead of that cycle to the point when your trip actually gets there, it's all the way paid for. Even if that is an inexpensive accommodation or that your plane fight has been paid for four or five months, and then the only thing you need to worry about is your money on the ground, but you've saved that, that can take so much stress out of people's lives as far as travel goes to where then it snowballs and it builds on each other because they're like, wait, why was this so much easier? Oh, things were in order. Let me do that again. Let me continue that. And then that just feeds into the whole budgeting, the long-term budgeting thing where it's like, once you see how all of those things work, if you've never budgeted before, it almost becomes this game where it's like, okay, this is awesome. This is working. How can I refine and make this even better? That's one of the beauties of, and then when you get into travel hacking and people say that, I think there's a subset of people that get freaked out about this word travel hacking. Like I'm not an expensive guy. My life doesn't cost that much. I still get a free flight to Europe every year just because I use one credit card fairly religiously. And that gets me enough points to get a free flight to Europe every year. There are much more crazy ways to use multiple credit cards, especially if your life costs a lot more to where you can simply get free flights and do those things the right way by using credit cards in a smart way. So there's just all these little tricks of the trade that you can slowly learn over a few years and implement here and implement there that can make it just a lot less stressful to travel more. A hundred percent. And I've actually had a few guests on the show that talked about those things specifically. One is Jesse from You Need a Budget, which is a phenomenal resource. And that episode is a wonderful listen. And then we had another guest who talked about travel hacking and credit cards, all about the whole point system. That's Owen uh, Beanie's episodes. I'll link to both of those in the show notes for this episode so that the listener can continue to build their plan and I'm just so grateful, Jason, for you coming on. You've re-inspired me. You made me even more excited about, <laughs> about my travel budget and contributing to that more. And one other thing I wanted to mention about that is it opens up so many possibilities for you when you do plan ahead. I saw a TikTok yesterday, I think, of this couple who was flying first class. And in the comments section, people were saying, well, easy for you to say, but not everybody can afford to fly first class. And the person that made the video commented back and said, actually, we planned really far in advance so that we could afford to fly first class. We knew this was going to be a long flight. and We wanted to be comfortable, but it took a lot of work for us to get here. And I read that thinking, oh, that's such a big reframe. It's not just about next time you buy a plane ticket, deciding which one you can afford, but maybe anticipating your needs moving forward and putting money aside so that you have the ability to make decisions that bring you more joy and comfort and saving money. Even just a few dollars can really accumulate or making decisions like you mentioned about which credit cards you use so that it's actually just happening automatically. There's so many tools online now that you can use to make all this happen that you don't even have to think that much about. I also wanted to mention that it's come up once or twice that you know, during all of this, I actually got diagnosed type 1 diabetes, which type 1 is an autoimmune disease. Essentially, somebody could wake up tomorrow with it because your autoimmune system just decides that it's going to attack a part of your body. In my instance, my pancreas. This was another one of those shifting perspective moments. And that's why I want to bring it up, especially somebody who's tuning into this is tuning in for travel and fear and, you know, self-motivation, growth advice. And one of the things that I've had to overcome in the past year is, number one, I sold my home in the summer. Eight months later, COVID hit. And eight months later, I was diagnosed type 1 diabetic. So I had transitioned from being in one location for 15 years to having the ability to move around at ease and then ending up back in the U.S., 
And then during that time, I ended up losing 20 pounds. I was drinking a gallon of water a day. My vision changed. All these things happened over the course of a month and I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So now I had this, oh shit, like this sucks. And I just want to curl up in a ball and not go out and do anything again. And you know, I did have that two weeks where I just shut down completely. I think we all have to allow ourselves time to take the time that we need. That's what I needed. Luckily, I had some friends that helped me through that. And then I realized, okay, this ain't going to stop me. Like, how am I going to figure this out? So one of the ways that I continue to have to tell myself, especially traveling across the world for three months, not knowing how I'm going to get insulin, not knowing necessarily what I'm going to do if I get into trouble. Number one, I got to figure those things out and then kind of go with it. But anybody who has a major pre-existing condition or anybody who knows somebody who does, this advice is free. So I think I covered everybody there. These pre-existing conditions, these big life-changing things are not only for us in the United States. Everybody around the world deals with them. So I think once you can put your brain around that, get your mind around that and say, wait, you know, these people in Portugal, they have diabetes and type 1 diabetes as well. What are they doing? How are they getting through their days? That means there's probably resources there for me. If shit really hits the fan, it's a matter of doing what you need to do in those places that get by. You know, money's not an object when your health is concerned. And if you get into trouble, you're going to just need to do what you need to do. And that's kind of the way I've had to start approaching things is like, I'm not going to allow this to stop me. I just need to figure those things out. And then now I try and add that to my conversation and help other people that might have pre-existing conditions and deal with the travel medical insurance around the world and just those conversations because it was a huge empathy moment for me and just an awakening moment for me when I realized that my vision went away within the course of a week. I've had perfect vision for 15 years and all of a sudden I couldn't see 10 feet in front of me. And then all of a sudden I could see 10 feet in front of me, but I couldn't see 30 feet in front of me. It switched and it changed. And all of that went away when I got my blood sugar right. That's a fun side effect of having too much water in your body and you're drinking gallons of water a day is your lenses kind of float or there's too much water in your eyes and your vision changes. Well, my sister's had bad vision her whole life. She's had her retinas detached multiple times to where she's had to have surgeries and she's had face down. And that was one of those moments where I went, holy shit, like I never realized what that is like for somebody. I never realized when I joke at a friend about wearing glasses what that means. So like, again, I'm not sure I tangent to this empathy moment, but like being able to realize that there's other people dealing with things that you don't understand and vice versa, it gives us all a little bit more of a pause when we can do that on a regular basis. It just opens up your mind to the reality that people around the world are dealing with this. If you have these problems, they are overcomable in travel, even in long-term travel. And sometimes they're even easier because my insulin is about 10% as expensive when I'm over in Europe. I had to find that out because I lost a couple insulin pens that got frozen on the plane on the way over there and I had to figure it out. So I just wanted to speak to that audience that they're dealing with bigger things than just finances or budgets or fear. You know, there's some other things that are under the surface. Absolutely. That's also just a great lesson of the empathy part of it, of seeing that travel is not just about you. It's about all the people that you meet and all the people that your travel impacts and really thinking about all these different things. That in itself could be overwhelming, but thank goodness you have the beginner's guide to all of this. So to help you finally kickstart your travel life or go full nomad. I really can't wait to read this. I am already planning my trip many months down the line, as I said, and I love reading things like this well in advance so that I can start to account for them in my budget and my schedule and my thought process. And I'm just so grateful that you provide this resource to everyone. So thank you for coming on the show, sharing your stories. You shared so much wisdom. I'm probably going to struggle to decide which quote to feature on our Instagram account. (laughs) But actually, all of the quotes will be in the show notes for this episode, along with links to Jason's work, his book, other places where you can follow him online to continue learning. That is all in one place at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L. EVATR.com in the podcast section. There's a full transcript. There's a video. There are quotes, quotable moments, and uh, links to everything there so that you can easily go learn more and continue your journey for traveling as well. I hope also that the listeners reach out and share with either me or Jason about what inspired them, what they've learned. Maybe you can tell us about some upcoming trips. Do you have any sort of online community like a Facebook group or a platform where people talk to each other? Because I always find those so helpful for travel as well. 
So I've been a part of a paid group called Location Indie for about six years. And the whole point of that group is to help people go from location dependent to location independent. So I have a kind of a community of folks that I've gotten to know over the years as far as that goes. But I spend a lot of my time on Instagram because I do love photography. So my website is thenomadexperiment.com. On Instagram, I'm at thenomadexperiment. And that's where I'm happy to have more in-depth conversations and talk about uncomfortable things. There is a lot of destination photography there, but I do also tend to talk about those uncomfortable moments and just things that we're going through and the realities of life. And because I do like to write and I do like to photograph, that seems like a good platform for me. And then beyond that, on my website, folks can always comment on articles and, and things like that. And, you know, I'll have that conversation through that. Fantastic. Well, I can't wait to go check out all of the work that you're doing. Look at it from a whole nother perspective now that I've gotten to know you over this time. So thanks again for sharing. Thanks for being here. Thanks for inspiring me and so many others that are listening. And I can't wait to see where you go next. So I'll be watching on your Instagram account. Thanks, Jason. Well, thank you. This has been great. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.